welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Mind Chimp Podcast. How are we doing? Good. Oh, we're both, I, we're both being polite and waiting for the other person to speak to. This is I actually wanted to if it was for us or for the audience. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've never I, done this before. <laughs> oh, good grief. Uh, I'm, I'm good, Danny. <laughs> this is good to know. This is good to know. So I guess let me, um, let me, yeah, for the guys who are listening, you'll probably know these familiar voices. They have probably the best L&D podcast, I think. Um, the good practice guys. And so you've got Ross. Say hi, Ross. Hi, Ross. And Owen, say hi, Ross. Owen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can. Hello. Hello. Awesome. Hello. So, so guys, I've never really done a podcast. Well, I've done a podcast with groups, but not from kind of two people who are from the same business. So my goal today is mainly to just play you off on each other um, as much as I can. So... Usually when I open up this show and I, I ask my guests to kind of summarize who they are with a logline or, you know, a statement. So, um, Ross, let's go with you first. Can you, do you know, what? how would you summarize you? Uh, I find this incredibly difficult trying to do this in advance. Um, I um. <laughs> So I come from a, a writing background. I went to uni to do uh, creative writing, and then I've. Is this actually... a logline, or is it? <laughs> Are you <laughs> the logline before you introduce it? <laughs> the tension is unbearable. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait. So, what's your objection that uh, that I've gone into my life story? Yeah, pretty much. I think that was it. <laughs> <I went. laughs> Danny said, "What's your logline?" And I can. I, I'm pretty sure that he said that it was supposed to be something that should. Uh, pop and tells the audience something about you or your life okay beautiful uh, so i'm an awkward nerd who has fallen into a profession full of awkward nerds and become quite comfortable there okay okay i like that i think it's always good when somebody can call themselves a nerd it's a, it's a it's a good place to be in in life how about you Owen? what's yours the same so mine is <laughs> <laughs> What, uh, were you providing one for me, Ross? <laughs> I really <laughs> die. Uh, uh, the one I've come up with for myself is uh, a guy in love with good ideas. Okay. Okay. I like that. So we'll come back to these shortly, I'm sure. But I guess for the... I tend to ask my guests kind of to pick um, six numbers, but because there's two of you, so we'll do it three each. There's my maths at its highest. Ross, what I need you to do for me, please, if you can pick three numbers from 1 to 100. 21, 73, and 36. And Owen, go for it. Three more. Uh, uh, 1, 61, 83. And 83. Awesome. We shall come back to them later on down the line. Number one is one of my favourite numbers, just to give you an heads up there, Owen. Um, for for this for this question later on, but I guess so. You know, I've made I've made a big sweeping statement there, but everybody knows who you are. Um, so maybe if you guys can kind of usually I say kind of tell me your story about your you know your past and stuff. But actually, what <laughs> no, I want to know now is you kind want of, the story, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess it's like tell me the story of how how good practice kind of came together. 
I think that's one for Owen. Yeah. Um, so we both work at Good Practice, but we weren't there from the start, uh, although I have been there for a, a long time now. Um, so, I mean, uh, Good Practice started um, about 16 or 17 years ago. Um and it was uh, started by a woman who ran a, a training company. And she got was getting fed up of um, constantly recreating uh, trainer notes for stuff. Uh, and so she decided that it would be a really good idea if they created a library of this stuff. And then once they had a library of it, which is all kind of stored in Word files and, um, you know, and files on Microsoft Windows, <clears throat> she decided... It would be really uh, interesting to see if uh, she could use this newfangled thing, the internet, uh, to make it available to people and turn that into a business model. Um, and so, and so that was literally what the the initial business, actually the initial business started was like uh, giving um, trainers access to a bunch of uh, training material stuff uh, online, and it was all in the form of uh, Word documents. Um, and so uh, they, you know, they, they sold a bunch of them uh, and a couple of their clients said, this stuff's really useful. Could we make it available um, to our managers uh, because they sometimes do training? Uh, and the people working in the business thought about it and thought, oh, that, that's, you know, this stuff isn't really suitable for that kind of audience. But what if we could make stuff that was suitable for that audience? Um, and, so, uh, and so they kind of pivoted or they added on an additional product was kind of like the first additional product that good practice did was um, making uh, a, a product that had useful stuff for managers but again at this point you know early days of the internet uh, or widespread adoption of the internet um all word documents uh, and then the, the company kind of has evolved from them from going from a company that, that has kind of got two things at its heart, one part being the creation of useful content for different kinds of audiences, uh, and the second part being uh, a company that uses technology to help people. Okay. Okay. So, kind of, I guess one of you know one of the one of the big questions what jumps out to mind for me is kind of at what point did the the podcast become an idea and, and kind of be the ultimate beast what it is now reference to a 90s game yeah at what point did the podcast become uh, better known than the company <laughs> but it, it, but that's a great thing right you know your podcast yeah. is is kind of your podcast is is your is your channel you know i found you i found you via podcast and then obviously owen we we then meet up when we can ross i don't think we've actually met in in real life um but we need to make that happen but but it's how I found you is via the podcast. So I kind of where, you know, for me, you guys were kind of ahead of, of the podcasts and, you know, every man and his dog has got an L&D podcast now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know. And you want every week. <laughs> yeah. And, but like, this is a thing, like, you know, for me, yours is, is kind of well well ahead of that. But where, where did this idea come from and, and why? And whose idea was it, I guess? Oh, Ross, you've gone silent. Oh, technical difficulties. Oh. <sighs> it's the podcasting you, pro. You don't get this on the good practice, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, well, no, we edit this out. <laughs> oh, I feel like he's, um, he's having a bit of a mare. I, I can... Uh, 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 what uh, would you? Oh, here we go. Oh, we're on. 
Hello. Hello. How's that? <laughs> I'm back. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was thinking, Owen's not shutting up. I keep trying to like cut in and he's like, stop talking. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> so, so, Ross, how much did you hear of that? Did you hear any of it? I heard all of it. Okay, perfect. And had lots of interesting additional material to say, but I missed my chance. So, you know, so I heard the question. So the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so I had been working at Q Practice for about three years, I think. And I was very into podcasts. I was one of these people who was like, we listen to 10 hours of podcasts a week. Sounds insane. But I think once you um, stop listening to music, mm. basically, uh, you know, whenever I was out walking or uh, on the bus or wherever it was, I listened to podcasts. And I heard, and I, I was trying to think of the, I think it was Adam Buxton interviewing Scroobius Pip. And Buxton asked uh, Pip uh, why he started a podcast. And he said, because it sounded easy. Uh, you just record it and then you put it on iTunes. And I was like, oh, that does sound easy. And I'd come from a journalism background um, as my undergrad. And then I did a bit of work as a journalist as well. Um, and I'd kind of missed that uh, interviewing and um, getting to know people, you know, ha- having an opportunity to ask invasive personal questions like you're doing now, yeah. uh, but, but with some sort of reason behind it. And so I thought, well, I'll start a podcast. That'll be good. Uh, it was called Bottle of Red. And the concept was I bring a bottle of red wine and then split it with the guest and, and we'd find out a bit more about what they were doing. And I think um, maybe one episode was out or two, or maybe I hadn't released one yet. But speaking about it in the office, and Owen said, what about an L&D podcast? And I was like, no, that's crazy. I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing at all. We definitely should not do that. Um, <laughs> but, but my confidence grew during those, uh, the season one of Bottle of Red was 10 episodes and then season two, I think it's seven episodes and then kind of, experimented with the format and, and lost interest. Um, but then we thought we'd do a good practice one. So kind of learned how to do it at home personally, brought it into work, made a bit of a hash of it, I would say. But round about episode 20, I think we kind of worked out what we were doing with the good practice one. I don't really recommend going further back than that. Okay. Okay. So oh, and does that match your recollection of how this went? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> So uh, in his mind, it was his idea. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Um, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't that. So the bits that. Uh, so you had started a podcast, Bottle of Red. Yes. Um, uh, similar to Ross, I am also a ma- I'm a podcast fiend. I love podcasts, uh, and so I can't remember how many I subscribe to at the moment, but you know, forty or something like that. I mean, I don't listen to every episode of every one, but I listen to most episodes of most of them, um, and so. Uh, Ross has started this podcast and people internally have said, oh, uh, maybe maybe uh, Good Practice should do a podcast. You know, And I, I think initially the thoughts were it was going to be like talking about Good Practice stuff. Um, and I had thought, mm, I, I don't think that will work. Uh, and I also had some views on what you needed to do to have a podcast that, um, that worked. And so... Uh, it, some of that was look it needs to be something that you can commit to doing um in the long term because they're very rarely are they sort of like successful right from the from the get-go um and uh i kind of felt uh it needed to be it needed to be a conversation uh, and so I, I think kind of what i had said we had had conversations about it as well um because you said oh some people are saying we should do a good practice podcast and i was That's like not oh. how i remember it at all no 
No, I, re- I remember the very moment when you said, what about an L&D podcast? And I had a proper panic attack. I was like, oh, this sounds awfully formal. No, I'm not sticking my reputation on this. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm doing. But maybe, it, maybe it percolated. Maybe this is, I might be I think it had percolated. Of the idea. And then maybe we, we revisited it. Because I, I kind of shut it yeah. down at first. Oh, yeah. A few months passed. Yeah. Then, um, yeah. Yeah. So, I think, well, I, and I think other people started to to get a similar inclination. But it being kind of, about good practice or about the content that we produce, et cetera. And I just didn't feel that we could do something like that. I thought an L&D podcast would have been, would be a better focus for us because we like talking about L&D because we're both nerds. Yeah, there was a gap as well, I think. I think we were struggling to find good L&D podcasts and certainly yeah. for the first few months, struggling to make one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how many episodes are you in now on your podcast? We are about to celebrate our third anniversary slash hundred and fiftieth episode. Wow. Okay. This is this is this is amazing, right? So your your most recent one, the one which I listened to last week, I think it was Women in Learning with Bab yeah. Thompson and stuff like that. Yeah. Which I thought was quite a unique a unique podcast and you know well, a unique episode definitely. But I thought it thought it was a good one. It was definitely a good one. Um oh, thank you. But I think that was one that I went into quite nervous about. I was very concerned about the optics of it being hosted by a man. Um, mm. But it's myself and uh, Ross Dickey who take turns hosting and Owen tends to be the most frequent um, contributor. And then we have a, a third person who's always an external guest. And it felt disingenuous to sub out the regular people and bring in a female host just because of the topic. And we did want to... Uh, suggest that men shouldn't be involved in the women in learning chat either yeah so i was slightly uncomfortable about the a man leading a panel of women talking about women in learning but um that i mean that was why we made that decision i think i think it, i think it works really well actually i think there'll be you know i say the biggest uproar there probably wouldn't have been any uproar but you know if you did decide to kind of all of a sudden change what what your podcast is about and who who the guests are that would be more of a more odd than anything so yeah Kudos, kudos. So usually I tend to, um, I ask my guests what is it want to be when they grow older. So when you was in school and the teacher would ask you, and maybe Owen would go to you first, um, what what is it you want to be when you grow older, Owen? What was it you would you would say to the teacher? Um, so the first one, I'm not sure if I would mention this to the teacher. The first thing I can remember specifically uh, was I, I wanted to be Harry Seldon. Um. So, uh, and everyone is probably thinking, I'm Googling, I have no idea. It's Harry Seldon. So, uh, uh, my parents had a, a very small room in <laughs> Well, have you just read? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, oh, no, I feel slightly uh, hurt that you're laughing about that. Can I read it out? Um, yeah. <laughs> Harry Seldon is a fictional character in Isaac Asimov's Foundation series. In his capacity as a mathematics professor at Streeling University on the planet Trantor, Selden develops psychohistory and algorithmic science that allows him to predict the future in probabilistic terms. How old were you when you wanted to be this person? <laughs> About 11? <laughs> so, uh, you know, so I have been a nerd for a very long time. Uh, my... Uh, 
my folks had this this small room in their house where they put all their all their other books right all the uh, the ones that weren't out in the bookcase or scattered through the house etc uh, and, and for me uh you know uh, being a lover of books it was like this little uh, treasure trove right so there were boxes and boxes of these uh, these books that they couldn't or wouldn't give away or or exchange and uh, during one day of rummaging i came across this uh, it was a, a, an all-white cover hardback book with the title embossed on the spine and it was the the foundation trilogy by isaac asimov um and I remember reading it and being utterly engrossed. Uh, so, you know, as Ross has alluded, it tells the story of this mathematician, Harry Seldon, who developed a new science called psychohistory. Uh, and um, it could be used to predict um, statistically the future course of very large bodies of humanity, right? Almost like a, a kind of souped up uh, statistical sociology. Uh, and then he used that science to put into uh, motion this um series of events that would save humanity from thousands of years of depression and barbarism. And so I wanted to be that guy, right? Not specifically, <laughs> somewhat shamefacedly, uh, not specifically to help people, but to be able to bring some uh, some understanding to, to the seemingly unknowable, right? Which ultimately drove me to uh, studying maths at university and having this kind of broad interest in science and the underpinnings of 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 science so so yeah i i wanted to be uh I, I, I wanted to know what it was like to be like that guy okay okay and and how about you russ what 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 did you want to be when you grew up double baggins <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, i wanted to be a writer uh I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, when I was like five years old or something like that, I uh, sat with this like um, binder um, and watched The Lion King. And as I was watching it, uh, I would draw the characters and they would all have little speech bubbles where they would say their name. So, you know, Simba, you know, Pumbaa. I claim I invented Pokemon, but uh, <laughs> this was my uh, first foray into writing. Everyone looked at it and was like, oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's, uh, that's really good. You've written a book. Wow. And uh, I was like, oh, <laughs> People like this. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. So that was uh, that was the trajectory I went. And then I went to study creative writing at uni. And then uh, in my final year, panicked and switched to journalism because I was like, no one makes any money out of this. <laughs> but the, the journalism would be too good practice then writing for their the toolkit product that Owen mentioned. Yeah, well, that was going to kind of lead on to my next question, actually. And... Um... But you've kind of answered it. How how was your journey into kind of good practice? How did that happen? But like I say, you've kind of just kind of covered that, which you know some people think we've planned that, but that was smooth. I like that. Uh, so I um, I could tell you that I applied. I found the job and it didn't seem very interesting uh, online. And then I applied for it and was like, I don't really want this. And then I got an interview and I thought, I really don't want this. Don't want to be doing this management stuff. This doesn't sound very interesting. And then I worked there for nine months doing maternity cover. And then I was on the way out the door and Owen said, uh, I know this is not really what you want, <laughs> but there is an opening on the e-learning team if you want to uh, give it a go for a while. And it is a different career than this journalism thing that you've got like your, your uh, heart set on. But um, you might find it quite fun and quite rewarding. And he was spot on. It was a, it's an excellent job i absolutely love it i've been dragged kicking and screaming into the world of learning design 
but it's great. So it's all worked out. Thank you, Owen. The saviour. That's what we should probably call you now, Owen, the saviour. That would work. Yeah. I don't know. If you sold the door a little better at the get-go, then maybe it wouldn't have been so difficult. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so didn't have to. You were desperate for the job. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. I have six terms, and um, Ross, we'll start with you first. I'll give you three, and I want you to tell me what comes to mind when I say these, and then Owen will go to for the other three. Yeah? Yep. Okay. Um, Ross, first one is digital learning. What were the instructions again? <laughs> 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 what comes to mind when I say that? Uh, I thought of data from Star Trek, to be honest. Okay, that's fine. Is it like a word association thing or you want something deeper? I just, no, it's, it's not like one of the things where I hold up a, a painting, you know, some black paint and say, what do you see? And someone says, dead bodies. It's just whatever whatever comes to mind to you, Russ. Um, yeah. But yeah, MOOCs. Um, honestly, I thought waste of time. But I don't think that's fair. We could get into it, but okay. Um, I have reservations. Okay, and your next one and last one is virtual reality. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Tron, I guess. Okay, Tron. Cracking film. Um, over to you, Owen. So the first one is argument reality. What? AR. Oh, uh, uh, nascent technology. Okay. Classroom. School. And L&D. Uh, a profession in which I work. Okay. <laughs> good, good, good. I like that. So, Did you want better answers? <laughs> no, I think... I'm just giving him quick answers, Ross. Yeah, Didn't I know. Think, uh, yeah, just, just, just go with it. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, these podcasts are, are more about the people behind the learning and, and what shaped them. And I think one of the things which we see in corporate environments is, you know, when we go for the interview, it's always about this is something I did and this great idea. And I actually personally feel like what we should be asking at interviews is actually show me what your failure CV looks like or your failure resume. Show me where you failed and what you've learned. But maybe the question to you all in first is kind of what's been your biggest failure, which has ended up ended up being possibly one of your biggest positives in life? Um, uh, across my across my entire life. Yep, yep. So, uh, so my be... I, my biggest failure would have been uh, not completing my degree at university. Um, so I uh, because I wanted to be Harry Seldon, uh, studied uh, maths, uh, and I had a choice of two universities. One was uh, King's College in London, and I, I'm from Edinburgh, and I wanted to, to move out of Edinburgh. And uh, so it was King's College London uh, and uh, Aberdeen University. Um, and uh, for various reasons, uh, I was put off, uh, uh, not by anyone, but but by an experience of, uh, of going and studying down in London. So Aberdeen it was, and off I went. Um, and uh, I, I needed to um, uh, pay my own way through uh, uh, university or I needed to work uh, basically uh, and so um, I was studying at the same time I was studying uh, pure maths in the first couple of years of science uh, on a science track uh, and then I um, uh, I was 
Uh, and I was also working full time in a bar, um, 39 hours a week. Uh, and what I discovered was uh, that whilst the first two years were an absolute breeze, uh, when I got into um, a third year and the courses uh, narrowed down and the maths got suddenly um, serious, it was a, a, a struggle uh, to get through. And, but, uh, and basically, by the end of uh, third year, I think I might have qualified for an ordinary degree, but I failed uh, a couple of exams. I needed to reset, and I just thought, you know what, I, I couldn't do this for a fourth year. Just could not manage it at all. Uh, and so uh, I just uh, decided, well, I'm going to cut my losses and go off and, uh, uh, and get a job, and maybe I'll come back to this university stuff. Um, and so it taught me lessons around uh, taking on too much. Uh, and uh, it also, to a certain extent, I was, uh, I think I chose the wrong, no, I'm certain I chose uh, the wrong degree. I was more interested, I found out going through that, it was a pure maths course, I was more interested in the applied stuff. I was more interested in the stuff that you could turn into something actionable than some of the slightly more theoretical naval gazing aspects of like a pure mathematics course. So I, I still uh, love mathematics, um, uh, but it's driven more towards those aspects that I feel I can apply uh, now. What's the difference between those two things, pure and applied mathematics? What would you apply maths to? I don't know if that's a stupid question. Like outside well, of like doing an engineering degree, for example, that sounds like... Well, it's exactly the kind of thing that you would apply maths to. Right. Uh, right. Or things like, for example, um, <laughs> logistics uh, is another area. Logistics, which sounds incredibly boring, but it's actually got a really interesting um, strata of mathematics that's sitting in uh, behind it. Um, but, you know, pure maths is more... Maths for the sake of maths, uh, applied maths is exactly as you would anticipate. Maths with the intention of using it for some purpose, like, you know, engineering or... And the, right. There's no science degree that you can do that doesn't have an aspect of applied mathematics to it. It's just um, how um, complex the maths is. Hmm. Okay. How about you, Ross? Uh, so I was struggling to think of something. Um, I have two... I don't know if I consider the massive failures. Well, one one was I killed a guy once when I was uh, uh, writing for Scottish television. I got a press release about the uh, Country Music Hall of Fame, something like that. I was told to you know write that up, and that was an environment where you had to like write stuff up in like half an hour, get it out, and then move on to the next one. I had to like write between 10, uh, eight and twelve articles a day was my job writing for their website. The press release came through and it was like, this year we'll be honouring the late A, B, and C. Okay, so right, I got to rewrite this, and it's like, okay, so. Uh, and they'll also be honoring uh, A, B, and C, who all died this year. <laughs> well, they hadn't all died that year. Only one of them was late. The other two were very, very much on time. And one of them phoned up to tell us this. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't imagine the readership of this was um, particularly high. Uh, but I said, a Google alert on his name or something like that. <laughs> or if you look at what's the coverage of my award going to be? Well, they're, they're claiming I'm dead. <laughs> so. I think from that, I learned to uh, fact check, be a little bit um, more cautious before hitting publish on stuff. Uh, and then another one, kind of similar to Owen's actually, was um, I'm doing a master's in digital education just now. And uh, I'm coming to the end. And in my second year, I did a course on learning analytics. And I found the whole program pretty easy until this point. 
uh, and and I was just completely overwhelmed by learning analytics to the point that I broke down in tears to this in the street to my wife and was like, can't do this anymore. Don't understand a word that is saying. It's all maths. Gave up on that when I left school. <laughs> Focused completely on English, and now I've got no idea what anyone's talking about. I feel like I'm just going to fail this this course. Uh, and so my wife had said to me, well, just focus on that for a bit. Cut out all the other stuff. I was going to like fiddle lessons at the same time. She's like, just stop doing that for a while. Um, reasonably active social life. Just cut that. That was all extra pressure. Just uh, work out what you're doing with this. Um, and I, that was the course that I got the highest mark for in the end. And I'm doing my dissertation on the, um, the final assignment on the course was to come up with a proposal for an experiment and that proposal is now my dissertation so similar to Owen I just learned to uh sometimes you can just cut stuff from your life when you're getting overwhelmed and focus on certain areas for a period of time that sounds more like listen to Amy and let her run your life for you oh yeah I know she's not going to be like uh uh, I had this lovely story about Amy and then came to the conclusion that thank you Owen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I was thinking in my head then was there's a saying in it behind every good man is a better woman that's kind of as <laughs> it comes in my mind then. yeah normally a few <laughs> it's a good show not in the it's sense of show. having multiple partners I've gone <laughs> you know your mother your grandmother and so, <laughs> so, so... cut cut that okay. Oh, oh wow! That's the kind of stuff that we cut out of the Good Practice podcast was where Ross talks himself into a hole. <laughs> <laughs> What's um? We, we, we can cut out really. What's <laughs> what um? If you was to <clears throat> summarize each other up, so Ross, this is this is to you first. If you was to summarize Owen up in five words, and let's use four because my memory can't hold more than five. What four words would you use? Intelligent, um, demanding, uh, fun, and hairy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought those were quite good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Owen, over to you. Uh, so for uh, four words to describe Ross: yep. uh, 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 talented, uh, effusive, uh, opinionated, and interrupting. Oh, I like it! I like it. So, I mean, I think you know a lot of time we kind of. I think one of the things which I really notice about your podcast is there's a genuine feeling of you guys get on with each other. It's, you know, you are friends. I, I, that's my personal feeling and what I what I get from your podcast. But I guess going back to kind of, I, I guess I want to take this more towards an L&D point of view more than anything. When we look, when we look into kind of a, the, the corporate environment and we look at, the, the, you know, and I use the term corporate L&D, what do you think are the biggest bottlenecks? Because, you know, Within teams, we we can you know we we can't necessarily pick our teams as such, but maybe maybe it's not teams, maybe it's not people. What do you think the biggest bottlenecks are in in, in corporate? And like, we'll use corporate learning just to make it a bit more specific. Um, sorry, Ross, you go ahead. 
So I think that the um, this might be slightly primed by what you just said about me and Owen uh, is that we are overly focused on how we present ourselves at work to the point that we are we almost like um, we have, we're in corporate L&D we have to appear very corporate we can't speak to each other the same way that we would if we were to meet uh, a barbecue or in the pub we're at work so we have to be serious are you talking about serious things you cannot let your emotions show and you you um cannot have fun at work you know particularly once you start talking um dealing with lawyers some of whom uh, i've worked with for a long time and by the end of a project you do know that there you have a dog and they're into skiing but at first they're like so like uh reluctant to let you find out what they're actually like as a person. They have to wear the business suit. And the reason I think this answer was slightly prompted by what you said about me and Owen is that I think that uh, we have developed a relationship doing the podcast that didn't exist beforehand. And I think it's through having the podcast conversations every week that we've got to know each other. I think we've become friends through the podcast. I wouldn't say that we weren't friends beforehand, but didn't really know Owen that well. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the answer. Okay. All right. Anything you want to add on that one? Um, God, I just think it's interesting that Ross tackles this question from a completely different perspective from the one that I was thinking about it. Um, so <laughs> people don't behave professionally enough at work. No, I don't agree with you. Just I thought about it totally different. So like, I, I think there's a mixture of things that get in the way of um, uh L&D departments getting things done and changing things around. Part of that's what I would describe it as the sort of the legacy of the classroom trainer, right? So if you think about the the, the senior people in organizations, the number of them who have kind of like worked their way up the ranks and, and being a classroom trainer has been a significant part of their identity. I think shaking that off is very difficult uh, for them. And so they're not naturally um, digital people at all. You know, you know, particularly at um, uh, you know at the senior levels, um, I genuinely think that um, IT infrastructure. Uh, before you move on, I'm going to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, because I think that first point is the same point that I'm making, which is that you have uh, when the classroom training started in businesses, it was based on the school model, which has a um, constant power dynamic between the teacher and the student, and I think that was brought into classroom training, and then I think that's still the case now. It's about we are we are the experts and we're going to tell learners what they need to know. Yeah. And off the back of that, they're going to behave more like us. We cannot possibly acknowledge that they have individual um, traits that they might want to do something differently or that I could possibly be wrong uh, because I'm a professional. I know what I'm talking about. I can't let that mask slip over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess you're, I guess you're right. But you know, I think my thing is that the it's, it's that that's part of their identity. Yeah. That's part of, you know, and part of like, you know, they, they've done a whole bunch of stuff that, uh, that I think a lot of people now are looking at and saying it's probably not been that effective. And it's really difficult for you to look at something that you've done literally and say, actually a significant chunk of what I've done isn't effective. So you hold on to it. Yeah. Um, uh, I think, uh, IT infrastructure is a thing. I think that the sort of aging uh, IT infrastructure stops, uh, uh, and you know, and some of the policies they've got in place stop pe giving people permission to experiment and try out new things with new stuff. Uh, and I think there's a lot of blockers in the way that you could work around. But you know, to what extent people are willing to take that risk is, you know, 
there's a there's a range there um and i think there's there's an overall lack of willingness to take those risks and do something different because of the risk of failure i think you have to risk failure if you're going to genuinely do something different yeah <laughs> i think that loops back around to my point again actually you know you're not allowed to fail at work that's just another yeah. one of the ways you can show that you're vulnerable but but isn't that interesting you know we we, we have the corporate environment who says you know we want to do innovation and we want to do this and i'm going to insert as many buzzwords as possible innovation and this and that but then the first thing you do is when you step back outside and maybe you, you come out of it a bit you go actually you want us to do innovation but you're not allowing us to fail that's the only way we can actually go with that we need to fail a hundred times before we get the thing what we what we kind of what we're aiming for and then i think it's it's interesting that the, what the business wants versus the business ideas versus the business structure so you know it's like say there Owen, kind of the business ideas we want these new ideas and we want to do this and we want to try these new ways of working but instantly fundamentally one of the things what what what's stopping that is maybe your hr team and the, yeah. the, 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 these old processes what, what are in place to kind of you know maybe they was fit for purpose many many years ago but i think the hr team some, sometimes like someone like the hr team kind of they move but sometimes the processes don't move with them well they're fit yeah, for I, purpose not, i on. don't no, no i i don't i think there is a lot of policy in place that were never fit for purpose that were retroactively put in place because one thing went wrong once and so something happens and they go how do we prevent that from ever happening again and they put in a policy uh, and it stimmies a whole bunch of yeah, worthwhile experimentation. I was going to say the same point, but I was going to pitch it as a positive. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, something went wrong once, and so they had to put something in place to stop that happening, and that's fine, right? It's, it's a, successfully doing that, and they have that in IT, and they have that in legal, and they have that in, in HR, and the facilities team have that, and all these policies are in place to protect the organization from risk, but that does constrain what you can do within it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I guess my, this podcast is, is kind of very disjointed. I want to try and knock you sideways with some questions. So let's try that now. Um, I think this, this first one's going to you, um, Ross. Uh, if there was a billboard and this billboard was a, a million people are going to come out of a stadium and they're going to see this billboard, what message would you put on there for a million people to see? Uh it's okay to tell people you've shit yourself. <laughs> okay. I, I could explain that. Go for it. Because you asked before this podcast if we had any kind of funny stories and how you would introduce it. And I have got a reputation <laughs> among my pals for having these stories, for having like shot myself basically. Big one being I was in a shopping center in the middle of Bangkok. My bowels just emptied out. And this links back to the uh, how we uh, portray ourselves at work. We can't tell anyone that we've got this embarrassing story. We have to be professional at all times. No, you don't. You can be honest with people and they'll probably find it quite funny and you can be sort of self-effacing and stuff. And you, you can tell people that you shot yourself. Okay. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I was. I remember seeing that. I was thinking, I'm going to bring this up in this podcast. It definitely needs to be brought up. <laughs> don't but... worry. If you speak to me for long enough, I'll bring it up. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, same question to you, Owen. What would you put? Oh, good. Uh, uh, oh, I thought I was going to get a different one. Um, what would I put on a billboard? Um, 
yeah, I put something along the lines of um, if you've got a simple answer uh, to a difficult question, it's probably more complicated than you think. Okay. And is there anything you want to elaborate on that? Or? I, I just, uh, well, I, I kind of going back to the, um, you know, a strap line of a guy who's in love with um, good ideas. Uh, I think uh, I, I, I love uh, finding out about uh, new, interesting ideas that I think have got some legs. Uh, and the more I kind of, the ones that seem to resonate for me the most um, are ones that um, expressly accept that, um, that, uh, what at a superficial level seems relatively simple is probably a lot more complicated. And so, um, uh, you know, a lot of the ideas that I'm attracted to are the ones that help you fill it out, how to bracket that problem. How do you tease out truth from something that um, appears complicated rather than the kind of silver bullet ideas that are like, um, you know, uh, all your uh, dietary requirements are solved by simply you know, not eating meat or cutting out alcohol from your diet or whatever it might be. I, I just, I don't like the idea of silver bullets um, because more often than not, when you investigate them, they turn out to be utter nonsense. Okay. Okay. So if I was to kind of say to you, and I can do this all questions, but I kind of like not doing that and, and kind of getting two <laughs> perspectives on it. It's, it's a good, it's a good dynamic. But if I was to say to you, Owen, how, you know, if you were to give a, a child a gift, what gift would you give? Well, it would depend on the child. Okay. Okay. Um I'd find out I'd find out uh I'd find out what the, they like. The complete foundation it. series. But <laughs> <laughs> Isaac Asimov. I uh, do you know what? If they were if they were that way inclined, Ross, that would be a perfect gift. Uh, no, I would find out what they were interested in. Uh, you know, what do they like? What do they you know? What, what do they like to do in their uh, spare time? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think there's. I, I'm more inclined to encourage something that's already there than try and spark something completely new. Um, and if you know, if I don't know, then I'll probably buy them something sciencey. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Russ, over to you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that was a good answer for Owen. It seems like, I mean, I'm more of a mind to curate children's tastes, but that that might be because Owen's a little bit older and maybe has more experience <laughs> buying presents for children. Okay. So, so he's like, what do you like? I think I'm thinking more along the lines of, you should like this. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't, keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, I mean... What about books then? So I guess kind of moving from kind of this child thing to, to kind of now, you know, I'm, I, I know I'm, I'm a keen reader and, and listen to some of your podcasts, you know, you, you guys listen to podcasts and I think you actually did one where you put a question out to Twitter asking about what books do you recommend in L&D, but actually take that out. I want to know what, what books you read and actually this can be personal or professional, but, and we'll, we'll start with you. <clears throat> we'll start with you, Russ, but what, what book would you what book would you give a, as a gift to four people? I would give uh, Endurance by Scott Kelly, 
who is an astronaut. He's one of the twins. Do you remember uh, NASA had two twins working for them? So they sent one to space for a year and the other one stayed on the ground because they wanted to uh, see the effect of um, being in space for a year uh, and have uh, compare the, the genetics of the pair of them when they got back. Um, but I was thinking about this question in advance because this is one of the ones that you preempted us with. And I thought of a whole range of books by astronauts that I think are good to read. Uh, there's a certain way that people who have been in space write uh, which is really poetic. It's like their their eyes have been opened. But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought that actually people who've been in space have uh, gone through a rigorous process to get there in the first place. It's probably a certain kind of person that ends up in um, either the US or the Russian space program. And uh, first of all, they tend to be very congenial, very important if you're going to be in space that you get on with whoever you're there with. Um, they're ultra high achieving incredibly athletic tend to be incredibly smart um so yeah i would recommend anything that is written by any astronaut i think is always uh it's an, it's an exciting um sphere to be writing about anyway and you know these true stories these things that have actually happened uh, it's an exciting place to work um and the kind of person that's drawn to it tends to be an engaging storyteller so long answer but for now i'll say endurance by scott kelly is a good place to start Okay, okay. I've personally not read that one, so I will definitely add that onto my list. Um, side note, have you listened recently to the, the Radio Lab about the fact that they think they can, and it's not really about astronauts as such, but it's about space, and they think now they can predict the three hours after the meteor hit, what happened? Have you heard that podcast? Oh, uh, I downloaded it. Did you tweet it? Yes, yes. Yes, I, I so. downloaded that episode. I had given up on Radio Lab because I got annoyed by the um the style of it, but I will listen to that one. It's a decent one. Yeah, I, I can I get that the style's kind of hit and miss. So, I was in a bookshop and I was like, "What happened after the meteorite hit?" Exactly. <laughs> and it just goes on like that. <laughs> um, over to you. Kind of, what book would you recommend? Uh, well, uh, I mean, it's similar to my child question, uh, you know, <laughs> depending on what the person was interested in. Uh, but if they were at all interested in uh, science fiction, um, <laughs> I read a couple of books recently uh, that I thought were, they were just the most um, they, uh, feel good. They were the most feel good science fiction that I read for a while. There's a trend now in science fiction and fantasy to go all sort of uh, grim and dark and you know write about you know these gritty characters. But um, but these two are just they were great. I mean they dealt with some difficult issues, but um, but they were also kind of heartwarming at the same time. So uh, the first one was called The Calculating Stars, uh, and the second one was called The Fated Sky, uh, and they are uh, a look at an alternative history. Um, of the space race. Um, so the concept is, uh, funnily enough, a meteor hits uh, the uh, eastern uh, United States, uh, obliterates uh, uh, you know, Washington, various other places, um, and then as part of the recovery, um, they decide, oh, right, we need to start living on Earth as fragile. Um, they put together this international conglomerate, and the aim is to get up to space. And it kind of it tells that story some familiar parts according to how the space race tended to work out. Um, but uh, it's told from the perspective of a, a, a female astronaut and it deals with uh, sexism and racism in the 50s and 60s uh, and beyond. Oh, nice. That sounds that sounds pretty decent book to actually, to be fair. I mean, <clears throat> I guess... Ross, you have gone silent again. I can't hear you. Uh, you were... 
Oh. It looks like you were interjecting. To say something it, it's, funny. It's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, here he is. Hello. Uh, wait, wait for it. My <laughs> <laughs> mic keeps crashing. I thought that whole thing was a build-up to the Foundation series. <laughs> I, I, I thought he's, he's really milking this one, and then he's going to come and bring it in for landing with that Foundation punchline again. Oh, and I, I, I didn't tell a joke. <laughs> no, no. Also, I like, it's just so joyous and feel good. So a meteor wipes out Washington. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I ended up reading that thinking, God, that was a really enjoyable book to read. It wasn't all like, you know, totally miserable, which you know, a lot of the science fiction and fantasy is nowadays. Have, have you read, uh, sorry, I'm taking over the hosting. Sorry. No, go for it, go for it. <laughs> uh, Children it's of Time. Uh, I have the, that. I haven't read it yet. Spider's book. So it's it's another, I heartily recommend uh, it, it follows... Um, uh, humans are a plant of seeds on a foreign planet. They're, they want to uh, quickly evolve other humans, uh, but they accidentally evolve a load of spiders instead. And it follows the stories of, of uh, humanity uh, fleeing the planet as the spiders evolve. And then eventually those two stories come together uh, with disastrous consequences. Um, but I thought it was really feel good in the end as well. It's <laughs> 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 quite dark the whole way through, but um, yeah. Yeah. Yep, space genocidal warfare, but with a with heart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So warming, so warming. So, <clears throat> okay. So let's get back into good practice. I want to get into. In fact, let's do this first. So, um, yeah. Well, I think I think I went with Owen first. So over to you again, Ruff. So, what I want you to do is describe what you do as if you was explaining it to a five year old. Oh. Um, so I make fun educational web experiences. You can say that to a five-year-old. Yeah. This is why I <laughs> lost me already. <laughs> I mean, you've lost me, let alone a five-year-old. I, I make fun websites to oh. help you learn stuff. Okay. But I would say it in that voice. <laughs> <laughs> and Owen, well, yeah, go for it. Five-year-old. Um, uh, God, that's an excellent question for a five-year-old. So I make apps like the one on your iPad, uh, but for uh, but for people at work, like when your mum and dad go to work. Okay, okay, I like that. Um, which moves me on seamlessly to good practice and so you know i kind of know what you do what you guys do and kind of we spoke at events and when we spoke in the past but yeah maybe for, for our listeners explain what it is you actually do and, and kind of some of the challenges that you're facing and some of the the solutions and the outcomes what you've what you've had what do you think we do so i think you do a great podcast um i think my my gut feeling if someone was to say to me what's what's the words what jump out i would have e-learning i would have toolboxes and i would have management they're the kind of key things what jump out to me um yeah. that's my understanding 
but that's like pressure, gun to head, kind of what's the key things. Yeah. Is that I, fair? I, or is that not? It's pretty fair. I, I think we have um, struggled in the past to explain to people what we do, particularly because on the podcast we have been, um, we are conscious it could be perceived as a 30 minute advert that you listen to once a week. And so we have shied away from speaking too much about what we do. Unless you go way back to episodes one to twenty, which I don't think you should. <laughs> There's a lot of that in there. Um, but we, yeah, we we basically uh, create resources to help people do their jobs better, and then we deliver them in the way that is easiest for them to get access. And that might be through our um, toolkit app, or it might be um, through e-learning, or we have an LMS as well. Yeah. So I would say we've got um, uh, we've got kind of three strands to the business. So there's the toolkit, uh, and for all that sometimes it can uh, get dressed up, it is a website with useful content for people who work in mid to large size organizations. Right, that's it. It's articles, top tips, how to guys, short videos, etc. But all with the purpose of helping you get something done. Uh, so there's a content library of about two thousand things, and it's delivered through a website. Uh, and we may try and make that website as useful and usable and easy to access as possible. Um, and then we've got a, a learning management system, the purpose of which is to support formal learning only. So it doesn't try to be anything else other than just an LMS. So if you want something that just tracks compliance, it does that. If you want something that does tracks compliance, but also supports other formal learning things, that's what it is. But it is very specifically not for doing the same thing that the toolkit it, it can't my view is that you can't have a single interface that does both of those things i think you're better having um single uh applications that do one or two things really well rather than something that tries to do everything so and that's what the lms is focused on is just supporting formal learning stuff uh, and then on the e-learning side we've got a suite of uh, really good off the shelf uh, e-learning modules uh, i think a lot of people might disagree with that but the, uh, but they're really wait what <laughs> well no i, I think people so people hear e-learning and they don't think i mean they, they are they're more like oh, you mean people that haven't seen them yeah, yeah. oh i see <laughs> but I, I i would you know if you were to describe them to someone and you know that they're not a series of screens all hooked up together they're interactive web pages with a purpose uh, is probably yeah. the best way of, uh, of describing it. And then we provide uh, a bunch of uh, bespoke custom stuff for people who want, um, uh, people who need custom content. And sometimes that custom content is best delivered as an interactive web page. Okay. So, for, so we had Nick Shackleton Jones on our podcast, uh, which came out today. He was talking about two kinds of learning experience one is a resource and one is an experience. Yep. And so the toolkit would fall into the resource category. There's a rake of resources that you can use to be better at your job. And then the e-learning, as far as possible, within the there are certain constraints when you get into, you know, <laughs> we have to cover such and such for compliance, is an experience. So an example of what we've done there would be, and I think I'm allowed to speak about it, but I'll check after this. We did a project for Virgin Trains. Okay. For, for all their new starts. A uh, surprising number of whom have never been on a train before. Um, they're very young. Typically, there's a lot of sort of 17 or 18 year old school leavers. So one of the things that we created was a 360 train tour. So you put on a headset, they would get posted a headset in advance of starting. Uh, they open the video of this tour on their phone and they can hear two people from Virgin Trains talking about what it's like to work on a train. 
And as they listen, it moves through the compartment. So you can see the driver's cabin and then the galley and then first class and standard class, the driver's office, um, the tree manager's office, all these kind of things. Um, so it was a way of, at scale, giving people the experience of what it's like to be on a train and be in first class before you turn up for your first day of work at Virgin Trains. So okay. That's an example of one of the e projects. So, <clears throat> so it's not the kind of click next click stuff. Next. Everyone thinks it's shit. Yeah, I want to go and kill myself after going on it. So, yep. I mean, for me, I kind of same mindset as Nick, really. Um, you know, resources, job aids, blah, 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 and actually give them the experience to actually make them care. Um, you know, I think with something like with onboarding, you know, bringing new people in, a lot of the time they already care, they're excited. You know, yeah. it's a new job. It makes you, It makes your job easier if they actually care about what we're doing. Um, but I guess it's interesting that you talk about e-learning. I am massively, well, I'm not massively vocal no more about e-learning. I used to be. I used to be the person who hated it, literally. But but when I use that term e-learning, I'm talking predominantly about the click next kind of e-learning, not about the yeah. stuff what you guys are talking about. But I guess what's... What you know, maybe taking up the the example what you've just used now, but what's one of the biggest problems you face with 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 customers? You know, with your with your clients, like you know, man, maybe it's managing their expectation versus the reality. What what you know, you as a as a as an as a company, what's your, what's your biggest challenge, especially when it comes to like something like e learning or digital learning? I'm. Um... So from my perspective, and a lot of this is uh, sort of driven by the experience of the toolkit, for example, which is a kind of much more mature offering. We've kind of, we find a lot of ways to preempt this, but one of the, the things that we experienced in the past is that um, clients would ask for stuff that wasn't actually useful and in some circumstances actually degraded the experience um and so we're really clear now on what the what the toolkit is uh why it's successful what things you can change but specifically well you can change anything but there's some things that we strongly advise them not to change uh because we know that it has a negative impact uh on the user experience um so it is that um, I think a lot of it is coming from a like a lot of the suggestions and the requests come from a good place, but it also come from the place of um, the person's the client's own perspective and experience and their contextual awareness and, and not necessarily being able to put themselves in, into someone else's shoes. So we do all, the, all this uh, uh, research and user testing, etc., in order to confound. Uh, our own preconceptions uh, or, or to, to, to put our own preconceptions to one side. That's not, you know, it, it's what we prefer doesn't matter. What matters is what the end users prefer, right? What what kind of interactions engage them? What makes things easier to find for them? Uh, and what we found is that it's very often quite different from the stuff that we might find easier. And and therefore the clients ask for stuff that um, that falls into that similar kind of bucket of actually what's true of our clients isn't necessarily true of most people in their organization it's 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 really interesting you mentioned this so, so I, I've, I've written a whole 
um, article on LinkedIn, but I ended up not sending it out. I ended up saying, no, no, this will be suicide. So I didn't, I didn't bother. Um, but I guess so one of the... you're going to share it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things was it was talking about employee um, experience. And he said, like, what's some quick things you can do with an employee experience? And I said, my, my gut feeling, it was just a voice note which went to text. But I was like, if you want a good employee experience, the first thing you should do is not let the business shape that. And I think you see that a lot of the time. You see it You see it in learning, kind of. We make this giant assumption that we know best. We know how our users are going to engage with X, Y, Z. And fundamentally, we're fixing a problem what actually probably isn't even a problem to the user. We're just making this giant assumption. But it is that kind of human-centered approach, you know. And I think people are starting to use that term now, I think, rightly. Um, but it, it's, it's an interesting one. But kind of, where do you see it going next? Like, you know, when we look at this this digital and that I'm I'm not gonna use e learning, but let's call it digital experience. Where do you see where do you see that going next? Or where do you see it going next for for, for you guys? I think um probably further and further down the experiences route. What Owen was talking about with the toolkit development sounds very similar to what happens on a lot of our e-learning projects where over the course of three months, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier on, you know, work, you work with a lawyer for three months on a project. Um, it's a really collaborative approach. So I, I, I would bring the learning design side of it and they would bring the um, their subject matter expertise. So they will um, be totally involved in every stage of the scope and then we'll start to um, build like a wireframe of what we're going to be producing and they they input into that and they make comments and then we go back and forth and we meet once a week to talk about it, at least once a week to talk about it. And then we start adding graphics and videos and animations and all this kind of stuff. And um, by the end, they normally feel ownership for it, um, but they, they've created it. And then it goes out to the wider business at that last point. And we go, well, we're just going to get a check from the wider business. And that's when all of these conflicting ideas come in and every decision gets questioned and it starts to bulk up a bit with things that degrade the user experience. And I think probably the way that we'll go is um, even further from content delivery and more down the experience route. Awesome. Awesome. It's it's interesting. Yeah, I was talking... Try and remove those opportunities for anyone to add anything in later on because <laughs> it's clear that it's not a PDF. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's... It's a it's a good point you make though. I think when you work with someone like I was I was having a chat with um Tracer. Tracy was from from Sky. And I was asking about her kind of approach, you know, on the stuff what what, what she's kind of getting on with now. And I think she said we have three, four e learning pieces across the whole of the organization. That's it. And they <laughs> are fundamentally for a um compliance, a very, very, very strict compliance. I think they use like um use like a really lightweight LMS and the rest of it is fundamentally experience. It's, it's experience design. And I guess I think experience design is still being defined about what it is and what it isn't. You know, how I design, how I define experience design is different to say someone like, I don't know, Bob down the street, who I'm assuming is in learning and design. Um, but kind of, I think, I think design, learning design at the moment is kind of experience design is, is kind of, still yet to be defined but it's it's really interesting to see that the more i think we're just getting cleverer with our digital 
kind of approach. You know, we've we've kind of we've gone a hundred percent one way and gone everything needs to be digital and needs to be this e-learning, e-learning, e-learning. And I think we've seen the the kind of fallout, if you like, of that. And now we're kind of coming back more towards this more experience approach. But are you guys have you guys got you know one of the question one of the things which I've been working on with a client at the moment is, is voice and using voice with a client is that is that something you guys have have been tampering around with trial trial and error see if it works if it doesn't no uh, well that that's not a hundred percent true uh, Ross, no, you sure? we we no we haven't I was our technical team did do have a yeah. Yeah, we did a hackathon with uh, with Alexa. That was more just to find out what the um, what the potential was. It was also an interesting uh, piece of work, and there were other good technical reasons for us to um, to have that as a as a target. I don't voice was um, a, uh, an aside. Yeah, kind of like a, uh, you know, it, it wasn't the uh, it it wasn't. Um, wasn't it was it was an oblique kind of outcome of it it was some of the other stuff around how we architect certain things that that went into that um i am i'm uh voice is kind of like sitting there as a i think at some point in the future it will get interesting um but i am genuinely more interested in things that will get significant adoption within an organization and for me most normal people aren't yet using their um their voice assistants whether it's alexa google home etc um to uh to do anything other than play bbc radio 2 um or if they're very sophisticated switch on the living room lights i, I you know, those things seem to be incredibly, uh, it's just, it's just really early, right? So you take the total population and you think how many of them have actually got a voice assistant, right? You reduce that by an enormous amount. How many of them use it for anything other than playing music or the radio? And you reduce that, you know, by another amount. And then how many of them you know, are using it successfully and happily to do anything else? I mean, I, I've recently set up a bunch of lights in my house attached to uh, Alexa. I am pretty technically competent uh, and it was a total pain in the arse. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'm interested in that stuff. So I think people's frustration level with what they can actually get done via voice um, prevents it from being a viable, scalable solution for me. Yeah, I think it's the same as like Owen was talking about the um, the way people use our product. It's not the way that we use we, we expect them to use it earlier on. So years ago, like five years ago, I um, sat in on some user tests for the toolkit product, and you give people certain um, challenges, and then you watch how they do it. So one of the challenges was find the resource on time management. And there's a search bar at the top right of the toolkit. And I thought any reasonable person would type time management into that search bar. I watched three people uh, in consecutive sessions not do that. They all scrolled down the entire page to look for stuff. And uh, I think after that, we changed the color of the text of the search box or made it bigger and all this kind of stuff. And it didn't matter at all. I think the kind of person that uses a search box is like really in the top tier of all web users. So 100% if you're listening to a podcast, you're in the top tier of all web users. Most people do <laughs> yeah. not. And, you know, in a large corporate organization, the majority of people are not going to be that sophisticated. Yeah. And mm. So the idea that they're all going to be using voice just seems far-fetched just now. 
it's got it, 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 what it does have going for it at the moment is it, it is it's the novelty factor but how quickly that wears off um i'd be interested in exploring yeah it's also putting accessibility into the world as well i think that yeah. there's good arguments for it for that audience and so if stuff um supports voice commands and that would be grand but i mean i don't use it at all why that as opposed to something like a screen reader for example which is more mature much more sophisticated is you know well used well understood as opposed to i mean alexa is frankly pretty shonky for i was thinking specifically about turning on the radio actually all oh, right yeah yeah so <laughs> but yeah it's a fair point i think it is very gimmicky voice um, what are you doing with it, Tony? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm putting. Pe- I'm, I'm and then pe- we rubbished it. Yeah, no, I'm, pu- I'm putting people <laughs> off it. So, and the reason behind it is, is because I think fundamentally, <laughs> you, it, you get for every seven, ten commands, it does eight of them wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like it's pointless. You kind of it becomes this it becomes this this point of frustration. Rather than this point of you know fundamentally we want something that's going to make our lives easier, and we yeah. want it to you know we want it to get rid of the, the the daft tasks of everyday life, and that's for me is where voice could come into it, but it's so far behind. Like I I use I don't want to say the name because it'll go off in my room, but, but I use Google, that assistant, um, mm-hmm. and that's much better than Alexa I find, um, but fundamentally it is just a case of it's great it turns my lights on it turns my heating on. And I know a few hotels have been have been trialing with it in their rooms, but fundamentally, the first task is tell it I love you. That's that's usually the first question what you say to a, an assistant, whether people admit it or not. And then the second one is turn the radio I on. I don't think that's true. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe behind closed doors. But like fundamentally, <laughs> like I was building. It's a, it's a it's a. I was building it. I'm basically I'm doing a talk in June, and I was building this chatbot to kind of onboard people in beforehand. And I've had to be, I've had to, I've, I've been watching what people try and say to it to kind of program. And fundamentally, the I love you, I've had to program a response in for that. Really? That's just based off my, off my, and it's only, it's only a, um, a Facebook messenger. It's nothing. It's very branchy. Oh, a bunch of perverts. Yeah, but it, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's odd. It's very, very odd. But I just think it's fascinating. It is fascinating. There's um there's a great book called Everybody Lies. It's about about um a data scientist who worked at Google and he talks about kind of what Oh yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Pe- well start, finish the story, it's a good story. I kind <laughs> of I kind of just look at humans different after after listening to that. Um but more even more horrifying than normal. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly it. It's what people Google when they think that it's not getting recorded somewhere. Yeah. And and oh, Owen, if you've got if you've got Alexa, have you have your Alexa play your voice commands back to you? It's freaker. It's just you start wondering, you sit back with yourself and go, Why why am I asking Alexa this when I know the answer anyway? It's odd. Yeah. Um <laughs> so I guess yeah. I've got a couple of quick fire rounds and I think we are done, guys. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to do alt questions just so I can get through some of these. So, Owen, let's start with you. Social media, net positive or net negative for society? Mm, oh, it's still to be decided. Okay. It's been decided. <laughs> that was the noise of it being decided. <laughs> <laughs> That was the result of the time. It's a yes. 
Ross, three people who who would you recommend to follow on Twitter? Three people, go. Uh, yeah, obviously after you guys, uh, <laughs> Magic Realism Bot is a top follow. <laughs> it's not a person, <laughs> <laughs> but really good. It'll have stuff like the astronaut went to space and came back a cucumber. You get all these like fun little mini stories. Like, okay. So that's really good. Uh, I'm going to name another uh, bot. Um, <laughs> there's a, what's it called? It's like census bot, something like that. It creates stories based on US census data. Uh, and so the stories will be along the lines of, I'm a veteran. I've been married three times. I'm currently single. And I love like this snapshot into people's lives when you like strip out the way that they might describe it. it it's really quite bleak. It's like Charles Bukowski or something, the way that these things are in. And then I feel I should name a human. And so I'm going to go for... Who do I really like on Twitter? Uh, Suk Pabial. Uh, as well as being a... Uh, uh, kind and generous man also tweets all sorts of really fascinating stuff that he finds all the time yes he's a beautiful human being so i think of the top three people in the world two of them are robots <laughs> and the amazing. other one is Suk. <laughs> oh wait a bit of a deep one here um in fact no i'm gonna ask this i'm gonna ask this question and i want to ask this deep one to you actually but this is another light easy one um what do you what's your take on the Social media presence of people within L and D. Oh, uh, what's my take on it? I I think it's a um, I, I it's a I genuinely think it's a uh, a friendly uh, open space, perhaps too dominated by too few voices. Okay. Okay. So. We're back over to you. Yeah, I was just looking up the name of the uh, Census Americans, I think, is the bot that I was talking about. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're, we're... <laughs> Completely distracted by that. <laughs> so this question is going to be a deep one, and it's for both of you. Okay. Okay, so the question to you is, do you even like yourself? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh... Yeah, in the main. <clears throat> Yeah, okay. it wasn't that deep. I find myself tremendously good company. This was a bit. I'm, I'm, not gonna <laughs> I'm <lie>. always available. <laughs> this has been the shortest answer to that question. So kudos to you two. Um, right. or, or maybe we're just not particularly deep uh, individuals. Incredibly superficial. I just, uh, I, um, I, I think uh, life is just too difficult if you don't like yourself that much okay okay i like that and the last well, deep one. I, I can go deep as well so go for it. Um, i'm a practicing christian I became a christian four years ago i think and so i spend every sunday in church hearing about how terrible i am and one of the upsides of this is that you are i think kinder to yourself you cut yourself some slack when you accept your inner evilness. Okay. Okay. You accept evil and you're definitely. Yeah, I can go deep. That, that's pretty, <laughs> that's pretty deep. Um, okay, so let's do it. 
So, right at the beginning of the session, I asked you guys kind of, you know, when you were younger, what is it you wanted to be? And as you know, you know, when we, when we, we're constantly developing and constantly growing and, you know, we actually never really truly grow old to a point where we can't, where we stop that. So if I was to ask you the question now, guys, what is it you want to be when you grow older? What would you say now? A writer. Same answer before. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't written that novel yet, so still a writer. Owen? Oh, I, I, I've stopped thinking about that. I don't, I, I genuinely don't plan uh, that far in advance, like uh, more than sort of two or three years because it's uh, ultimately I found it to be pointless. Um, so I just kind of, the only real aspirations. Giving up on your, your uh, psychohistory dream. Oh yeah, that, is, predicting def- that is that is definitely not happening. I, I am neither uh, smart enough nor qualified enough to, <laughs> I don't have enough time, uh, you know, let alone be smart enough for it. So um, I, I just, uh, I, it's more interesting, it's more important to me that I'm, I'm doing something that genuinely interests me uh, and that I, I don't dread uh, coming into work to do every day than have any grand plan. Okay, nice, nice. Well, right at the beginning of the session, I asked you to pick six numbers um, and you had three each. So the idea is these numbers kind of um, tally up to to a random list of things where I have on my iPad here. And usually it's always if you're on your own on this desert island, but as there's two of you, so let's just assume it's just you two. So there's you two on a desert island. <laughs> And, oh. and you were talking about hell. Yeah. <laughs> and the list of items you have. And you know, it's up to you to be as creative as you want with these items. So we had number twenty one, which was a tire swing. Um number seventy three, which was a canvas. We had number thirty six, which was a face wash. And then we had number one which was a condom. <laughs> number 61, which was a clay pot. And then you had number 83, which was a, um, let me have a look, a lace. Did you write this list? Yeah. I swear to, yeah. Why is, why is number one a condom? I don't know. It's... You're there by yourself, you monster. <laughs> I was thinking about capturing water. It says more about you, that one. <laughs> <laughs> So what, what, I mean, it's up to you, you can work as a dream team, but what do you do with them six items? Tire swing, a canvas, face wash, condom, clay pot, and a lace. Yes. So is the tire swing uh, uh, um, a tire and some rope? You know what, because it's you guys, let's go with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, there's nothing else on the island um, in terms of provisions other than us. Just you two. Just you two, that's right. it. So uh, food, water and shelter are the primary things that you're looking to achieve, isn't it? Uh, no, not at all what I had in mind. Well, what did you have in mind? What were you wanting to do with that condom? <laughs> so I, I, I was going to uh, use the canvas as a sail, uh, attach it upright to the tire using the rope, 
put water in my condom, fill my clay pot with food, use the lace as a fishing line, and then uh, escape. So to be on a design with you, I would rather try this hairpin escape <laughs> plan uh, as you're desperately slashing at my sail in an attempt to build a shelter. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to spend our lives together, Ross. I'm like, I'm off. (laughs) I'm out of here. Well, that's... Do you know what? I mean, I would happily give you all six of those things. I'd probably increase my chance of survival (laughs) if you just went off (laughs) the sunset. Because my body would wash up on the shore. You could eat it then. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I mean... It would work without the canvas. I might fight you over over the canvas. Um... Or at least come up with a proposition for maybe we can um, work together on a, a replacement sale, but I'm keeping the canvas. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful. I, I see two factions emerging very quickly. We'll have our own <laughs> fiefdoms on uh, either side of the island <laughs> fighting over this damned canvas. <laughs> so, so, we'll meet at the condom. <laughs> <laughs> So guys, where where can people find where where can people find out a little bit more about what Good Practice is up to and and kind of yeah, where can we find you guys? Owen. <laughs> uh, I, I was waiting for Ross to do his well oiled uh where you can find it. So you can find out more about good practice on uh, goodpractice.com. Uh, or uh, you can uh, to find out more the best place to find out more about me is just to uh, follow me on Twitter where I am semi active okay uh yeah twitter for me as well so at ross garner gp and at owen ferguson for owen yes awesome guys it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much thank you danny appreciate it fabulous thank you it's been a pleasure bye-bye